0: Hello and welcome to episode 212 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always I'm your host Mark. Now joining me on today's episode is the songwriter and drummer from the amazing band Grey Days. I'm joined by Sean Daldell. During today's interview we go into great detail about Grey Days, how they formed, the band's history and even their brand new album which is out now called The Phoenix which honestly is absolutely amazing. We can't obviously avoid the topic of Chester Beddington and I think Sean is so open and so honest. He talks all about how he handled the grief of finding out about his passing, the shock, the sadness, but for me this episode is done with so much respect and it should be a celebration of the life of Chester Beddington. I believe on this interview we capture the magic that he brought to all the music that he put his hands to and I think this is done with so much respect and I'm so proud of this interview. So what I want to do now is to get straight to it. So here's me and Sean talking all things Grey Days. So Sean, thanks for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Sean, what I'd like to do today is take it right back to the early days. So can you tell me about when you're growing up, those first records that maybe you spent your pocket money on or those albums that made you want to be in a band?
1: Oh, man. So early, early on, I was a huge Kiss fan, you know, um, my age, 13, 14, 15. I was a huge Kiss collector. I think I had every Kiss record and comic book. And I love the music and the songs, but I also loved the theater that they brought to um, the stage show, the presence, this kind of mystique, the comic book kind of uh, mystique that they brought to their characters. I thought was really interesting. Uh, as I kind of got a little bit older and became interested in playing music myself, uh, the grunge scene kind of came out. Well, I guess before the grunge scene, bands like Cinderella and Poison and Dokken, those were all heavily influencing me early, early on. And then as I came into like 17, 18, 19 years old, the grunge scene really kind of took, took hold and you had bands like Nirvana and Pearl Jam and then uh you know of course my my favorite Allison Chains um so uh those those bands were hugely instrumental in making me want to join a band and learn how to play drums um but then I had kind of this alternate side to me too where I was starting to appreciate Pesh Mode and The Cure and The Smiths and you know Front 242 so I had kind of this alternate music avenue as well but uh Playing-wise, really the grunge scene kind of sparked my interest in becoming a musician.
0: That's amazing. And can you remember those first gigs you went to? Because I used to love albums, Guns of Roses, Green Day, yeah. um, Pearl Jam, all those early ones. But it wasn't until I went to see a band live that I really appreciated just how much work and effort goes into a band. So do you remember those first shows where you went and you were just blown away by a performance?
1: Of course. My first show was Kiss, was blown away. Oh, wow. It was, uh, Kiss, Kiss and Aerosmith. Oh my God. Um, then I saw Cinderella and Bullet Boys and you know some of those early glam bands, Poison and Dokken. And then I, I was uh, lucky enough to see Guns N' Roses on the first Appetite for Destruction tour. I am um, so
0: jealous right now.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was really cool. Um, I, I w- it was a life changing experience for me watching Axel and Slash and Steven Adler and Duff up on stage. They brought something different that everybody else in the glam scene was kind of doing was was really similar. And it's not a dig. It's just kind of what everyone had gotten cycled into. And along comes those guys. And they really changed the music world for me. Guns N' Roses Appetite is still probably in my top three albums of all time. Uh, It was a game changer. I've had the pleasure of meeting Slash a couple of times and tattooing him in our studios. And those guys were just hitting on all cylinders when they wrote and recorded that record it was just incredible
0: and at this point are you thinking to yourself you want to be in a band you want to be you know the drummer or are you thinking to yourself i just want to be involved in music or was it something like later on in life where you discovered that you could be i don't know maybe in a college band or with some mates just chilling um
1: i think the grunge scene really pushed me into wanting to become a musician and my friends who had started becoming musicians i was hanging out with a lot of a lot of people who were all starting to play and be in bands and it kind of through osmosis you kind of wanted to become that yourself and it was just being a product of the environment i found myself in mostly through my friends that were starting to play in bands you know local bands in arizona like uh you know pelvic meatloaf and uh, aloysius tool and and bands that, that nobody's really ever heard of, unless you're, you know, a Phoenix native, that that really kind of pushed me into wanting to become a musician myself.
0: That's incredible. So tell me about those early bands you are in. Can you remember those ones that you maybe didn't in to actually become anything special, but you were just getting to form a, a group with other people and like-minded musicians that you just wanted to just create something special?
1: So the first couple of what I would call projects i played in we weren't full bands we didn't have singers yet we you know they were just a couple of guys jamming together the first solid band that i was in was called sd and his friends and chester was in that band with me we formed that group in 1992 we put out a three-song demo in 93 uh and then that band disbanded and we formed gray days uh out of that so i've really only been in a few bands in my life so sd and his friends gray days i was in a side project with chester called sac sac then we did another side project called bucket weenies b-o-w and then uh i was in a band called waterface as well so i've really only been in five or six bands i've guested on a, on a bunch of records for people and come and done you know one-offs of shows and stuff like that but as far as being dedicated and immersed into a full band i've only been in you know what i just named off five or six so yeah uh but sd and his friends was this was the first band that i was was fully a part of and that had all you know all four members and we had a real singer and we were writing originals that was the first band and i loved it it was a it was a life-changing experience for me
0: and obviously you've been involved in a few bands like you just said with chester can you remember the first time you met him and how it was that you were introduced to each other
1: So we are playing with a guitar player named Chris Hewlett uh, here in Phoenix and we are trying to form our first band. And he said, Hey, I know this kid who sounds just like Eddie Vedder. We should try him out for singers. He plays with my little brother, Scotty. I said, cool, bring him in. So maybe a day or two later, he brought him down to the rehearsal studio. And quite honestly, when he walked in, I was not, I was not stoked. He was this little skinny, nerdy kid. And, you know, we all had this really long hair and you know, we all looked the part, but then you know Chester walked in. He was kind of nerdy looking, and I remember. Uh, and I like to tell this story because it makes me it humbles myself real quickly because yeah. I feel like an asshole every time I tell the story. He walked in, <laughs> and I wasn't. I was. I was unimpressed. And then he walked up, and he started singing. And I was like, "Wow, okay, this kid can sing." From that moment that he started singing, it was like this kid is good. He's only 15 years old, and he's good. And he has never played in a band before. Let's see what we can do. And he and I hit it off, and we became best of friends at that point. But, uh, but in all fairness, when he walked in the door, I was not impressed. You know, I was—I had this vision of you know Eddie Vedder walking through the door or something like that. He just—he didn't look like Eddie Vedder, but he sounded amazing. So, uh, you know, it's—it's it's a great lesson for people to realize, like, not everything uh, is it is what it you know sometimes. Th- what they look like aren't what they seem or what they seem aren't what they are
0: yeah and then obviously you said you hit it off straight away so the actual the personality mixed and you know being with like-minded musicians and in a band sometimes is quite hard isn't it because you need to gel you need to make sure that there's chemistry there but you said that you pretty much had it straight away when you you and Chester met
1: yeah we had he and I had chemistry for forever um Some of, you know, sometimes you got guys in bands that have different motivations. They want to play music because they want to get laid or because they want to be famous or because they want to make money. And sometimes you have musicians that just want to write great songs and play with their friends. And that was the kind of musician Chester was. He just wanted to write great songs. Um, You know, along the way, you run into musicians that have drug problems or girl problems or whatever problems. And it tends to be completely distracting for the project. But uh, for the most part, he and I were on the same page for many, many
0: years. And what was it like then when you actually were trying to write original songs as a band? So obviously you said it was from the other bands that this Grey Days formed. So you had good musicians, you had a good structure, you knew that the foundations were strong. Was it just a case of all being in the same room and just letting the ideas flow and be creative?
1: yeah you know in our first project we had a couple of older guys in the band that they wanted to play a little bit a little bit heavier more more metal kind of music uh for sd and his friends and chester and i were i was a little bit more geared towards um the allison chains and and but still had some of the some of the metal influences chester had more uh jane's addiction uh was a huge influence for him growing up and then stone temple pilots when they came on the scene was a huge influence for him so um, uh, you know, we all had different directions or different influences, but the fact that we all wanted to play together, we rehearsed like four nights a week. So we we're all immersing ourselves together and trying to figure out what that was. And the easiest way for us to get to write originals was to start rehearsing and learning covers. Yeah. So as we started learning other people's music and like, you know, Chris would say, hey, I want to learn this, I don't know, hell, uh, uh, Motorhead song. And Chester would say, hey, I want to learn this Jane's Addiction song. And I would say, hey, I want to I try to learn this Pop Will Eat Itself song. We're all over the map. So um, it took us quite a while to try to figure out our own vibe and our own sound, so that we could move forward and write originals from that point.
0: And did you feel that you just had it right from the start because you had such a great no. set of musicians or did it just have so many problems to try and iron out?
1: no it took took a long time took years for us to really hit our stride um you know there was just because you have talent doesn't mean you're a good band just because you have a good singer good band, because you have a great drummer you have to have so many things go right and by the way you have to have people that are willing to set their egos aside and and write for the greater good of the song and that took a long time to learn so no we weren't writing great material from the get-go it took many many years and and you know, it, 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 it's a learning curve the whole way through and, and you only find out through failure, you know? Yeah. And, I, and, and I've wrote a couple of books about this where, where like sometimes if you're not failing, you're not, you're not pushing yourself hard enough. You're really not going to learn anything from all your successes. You're going to learn from your failures. So as a musician, it's the same way you write a bad part of a song, you go back, you listen to it, you realize that that part of the song doesn't work and you have to, you have to, restructure the song because you realize that part's not working that's that's a point of failure it's not a bad thing failure is part of the process so the sooner you realize that and the sooner you realize not everything you do is great is is an important thing to know as a musician
0: and that works across all aspects of life really but i think it's really important that message because too many people are scared to fail because it just makes them feel weak or not strong enough to try and bounce back, but it's such a crucial message to get out there. It doesn't matter if you're making mistakes because as long as you bounce back and learn from it, you are going to become stronger, aren't you?
1: Yeah, and and quite honestly, if you're working through a process that's uh, important enough, you need the failures. The failures are going to make whatever you're doing stronger. It's going to point out the weaknesses and what you're doing and make you work on those weaknesses to make sure that whatever you're doing is the best possible version. If you're skating through stuff too easy, like I said before, you're not pushing it hard enough. Uh, you're probably not going to learn much and it's probably not that good.
0: That's really good advice and something I think that a lot of listeners now would take a moment to think about because I think sometimes life's too busy to even acknowledge that you might be making mistakes or that you're scared to to fuck up, but you've got to, haven't you?
1: You know, th- there's two ways to think about it. If you're, if you're too scared to try because you're scared to fail, if, if you're so scared of failing that you're, you're that you were not going to try, you're never going to grow. So for me, it's, 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 I look at whatever I'm doing, whether it's business, music, um, relationships, whatever. Um, if I would rather put myself in a position to where I knew I tried my hardest and if I fail, oh, well, at least I tried, um, rather than not try and wonder what could have been you know, Oh man, if I would have tried to open up that business, or if I would have tried to run a 10 K and who cares if I only made it, you know, eight K, um, at least I tried instead of just wondering what you could have done or where you could have pushed yourself to. Uh, I think for me, the fear of not trying is far greater than the fear of failing. Like, uh, everybody fears failure, but once you understand that failure is not that bad and what's the worst thing that's going to happen most of the time if you fail you're in the same spot you are now so what what do you have to lose most of the time not much
0: really thoughtful stuff so with gray days obviously you're starting to make music you've had a few years at it and it's going well and eventually chester decides to leave to go off to do linkin park right
1: no the band broke up we had a big fight um, we, we had uh, just signed a production deal with Warner brothers. We had a big fight uh, a few days beforehand and we just couldn't recover for it from it. And we all went our separate ways. Our attorney at the time, Scott Harrington had the foresight to realize that Chester was really something special. And he had a, uh, another attorney he was working with out in LA that was working with a band called zero. And they were looking for another singer to join the project. And Scott reached out to Chester said, Hey, I have these guys out in LA that I'm, that I'm working with their their manager or their lawyer whatever it is why don't you try out for them so they sent him a demo he came out he was in arizona he recorded uh a couple of songs and then he drove out to la and auditioned in person and then uh they accepted into the band and then they changed the name i think to hybrid theory and then uh it became lincoln park it wasn't like he just decided to leave the band we all had a big fight. It was a big breakup and we just couldn't recover from it. But, uh, you know, it's just one of those things that, that happened along the way and, you know, very proud of where he went with that band and everything he did with those guys.
0: Was it difficult looking back thinking you'd wish you'd done something different to avoid that massive fight that then led to this breakup? Or was it just inevitable that you just couldn't ever come back from it?
1: Um, there's a few things that you think of at the time. I think, uh, you know, some of us in the band, had drug problems. Some of us had ego problems. Some of us had marriage problems, uh, that all creeped in all culminating into this big, uh, ball of crap that we really couldn't get out of our own way. Um, so quite honestly, uh, in hindsight, I'm glad that the band broke up, otherwise Chester wouldn't have went on to do Lincoln park, you know, uh, and that band is one of the most influential, successful bands in the last 25 years in music. I don't know that grade A's ever would have got to that point, I would like to think so. I think our music's phenomenal. I think, uh, I, I think uh, what we could have accomplished, you know, we might've been there, but who knows? And uh, I try not to second guess that stuff so much. Um, we broke up for many reasons, not one reason. So, uh, and I don't know that if, if we have had early on success at that moment, uh, I think the band would have broken up eventually because of those internal problems we are having, you know, drugs are a very difficult thing to get past. And, and if you don't have somebody trying to get sober in the band, they're, they're always going to be a drain on what you're doing. So that there, there was some big problems in the band. Um, that being said, you know, Chester went on to, to meet those guys in Lincoln park and those guys are really hardworking dudes. You know, they deserve the success that they got. Um, not only they were, were they uh, hardworking, but, they were original in what they were doing they really did kind of change the map of i guess the new metal genre that they you know i don't want to, i don't know if they invented it but they were at the forefront of it you know uh that rap rock thing that they kind of developed uh those guys deserve every accolade they've ever gotten so i'm not a jealous person i always want to see everybody in my world um succeed so i don't have any jealousy or or animosity towards what they accomplished i'm actually very proud of those guys so uh and even when the band was broken up it's funny because uh i used to get sent big boxes of cds from all of the record labels and they'd have me fill out these forms and let them know what i thought of their new bands and i remember getting a demo from hybrid theory not knowing chester was in the band and i listened to it and as soon as i heard it i knew it was his voice i'm like oh this is this has to be chester. I, then i looked who's that singer sure enough it was chester uh, and I wrote an honest review, and this is when he and I weren't talking. We weren't friends at the time. We were we were very upset with each with the breakup. And I remember writing Warner Brothers back saying, "This band is really good. The singer's great. I'm really proud." I remember uh, sharing that with my wife, and she's like, "Wow, that's really you know that's really awesome of you to to say that that you're not that you're not upset." I'm like, "Why would I be upset? Like that to me is so small minded." Yeah, I am. I feel like I had a very positive contribution to Chester's life and Chester's talent and Chester's work ethic and Chester's songwriting, all those things I felt like I contributed to. So why would I not want him to succeed even if I wasn't part of that? So uh, I remember that very uh, distinctly. And it was a, it was a watershed moment, I think uh, for me in life, like realizing other people's successes is something to applaud, not, not to be jealous of, or to be envious of. And uh, then he and I reconciled a couple of years later after that uh, in 2002, when, when Bobby got sick, but Uh, I'm really impressed with everything those guys did.
0: So I'm really glad that you told me that because I was going to ask, did you ever get a chance to kind of patch things up and get things good before obviously Chester left us? Now, was it on good terms when unfortunately he he, he took his life?
1: Oh, well, Chester and I were best of friends up until the point he passed away. So when we reconciled in 2002, he and I became business partners in Club Tattoo. We own a multi-million dollar business together. Uh, we started two clothing companies together. We did a shoe line. Uh, we did a lot of things outside of music together. And then we decided to put Great Days back together in 2016. That was Chester's idea.
0: This is amazing. Um, so we hear. were working.
1: Yeah, we we were working on all this while he was alive. Yeah. A lot of people don't know that. We are working with a producer named Sylvia Massey. We are going back and forth with recordings um, while he was alive, uh, when Chester passed away, he was supposed to be in Phoenix a couple days after that to start rehearsals. So, um, for, for for our reunion show that we had announced on the internet and uh had already sold out. So uh he and I were were best of friends when he passed away, and uh yeah, we talked uh two days prior to his passing. So
0: and obviously I don't want to get too deep with this because it's still, I'm sure, very raw, but um did you ever see this coming or were you thinking he was in a really good place and you never even ever imagined that you'd be having a phone call to be told that unfortunately Chester is no longer with us?
1: You know, I knew he had, I knew he had some demons and I knew he was, I knew he was taking some stuff. There's a couple factors here, right? Um, the first one is I know he stopped taking his antidepressant medication. That's the first. Um, that ha- to me has a very dramatic impact on his taking his own life um i really believe that secondly i know he was having some trouble with the way some of the fans were responding to his new album one more light i know he felt underappreciated and unloved by a fan base that i think he had come to rely on uh to support everything he had been doing up to that point uh there were some personal things going on um that i think it all just culminated at the wrong moment, at the wrong day, when he was by himself, and he took action that was irreversible when no one else was around to maybe talk him out of it. So, and there's so many factors that go into this that I, you know, and I'm and I'm I, I'm I'm giving conjecture here on what I thought was going through his mind, and I don't know because so I'm not in his mind, and I don't pretend to be, but um, I know that there were outside influences and variables that that were heavily influencing his state of mind at the time. Um, however, I did not think that they would culminate into that choice. And it breaks my heart to this day that he's not with us.
0: And the fact that you had these rehearsals planned to then start a new life on Grey Days again and a sold-out show, I don't even know. How, how do you even kind of digest that news and even contemplate just getting up the next day after hearing that your best friend is gone because there's people that will listen to this podcast that have lost people in their life through suicide and anything you can kind of provide I think will help people deal with loss but how do you even function the next day
1: so my main concern from the day the day that I was told I got I caught literally was it was maybe one o'clock in the afternoon I think it was a Thursday um, that Thora, my wife, Thora, called me, told me that Chester had just been reported as to uh, uh, taking his own life. I called to Linda. She answered the phone. She said, it's true. I'm getting on a plane from Sedona here in a few minutes. Will you come out to L.A. and help me? And I said, absolutely. I was in Las Vegas. I had to drive back to Phoenix, get all my stuff then drive to L.A. Uh, my immediate thoughts went to, to Linda and the kids. Um, That was the first, uh, five or six days, uh, thought processes. How do I help the family, uh, recover from this? My sec myself didn't come into the picture until about the day after his funeral. Um, which was about 10 days later or something like that. Uh, I had to try to find something to be grateful for. And his friendship to me was always a blessing. He was a great guy, he was a great friend, he was a great dad. Uh as far as band member, that was so far down the list of priorities for me. He he and I hung out so much outside of music that I thought of him as my friend way way before I thought of him as my band member if that makes any sense and it of just course. was it was hard to lose my friend and uh but at the same time I just kept trying to remind myself, man, not everybody gets to have a friend that great. You are find yourself very lucky. You're very lucky to have ever had a friend like this. And just trying to find gratitude in a moment of pain um, was really my way, way through it. It is to this day.
0: And there's never because I've seen people that have lost people close to them. And the initial reaction is anger because they're frustrated. They're no longer with this person in life or they can no longer have those conversations they wish they had had or any more memories to be made. But I take it you've never had that stance of anger because you've just been very grateful for the times you did have.
1: You know, the only anger I think I felt was at myself for not recognizing something deeper that was going on. And I think every person who is close to someone who who takes their own life feels a moment of guilt or several moments of guilt. What could I have done to change the outcome? What could I have done to help them? And I think that, uh, the, the, the the thing that is hardest to actually come to grips with is the answer is really nothing. You really can't do anything for someone that's thinking that way. You can only try to help shape their mindset over time. Um, If they're lucky enough to have survived a suicide attempt, um, talking to them, continually letting them know how much people care about them, letting them know how much they matter. Those types of things may help build their confidence and their mental stability into not trying it again. Uh, however, if you, if you don't see that stuff coming, it's very difficult to avoid a train you don't see coming. So, uh, I think it's, it's, it's something that's important to say out loud is, is you have to, um, you have to come to grips real fast with the guilt that follows losing somebody close to suicide, because chances are there's little or nothing you could have done to stop that. And that's a, that's a painful reality, but it's, but it is a reality. Um, and you know uh, the, like I said, I never, never was angry with Chester, um, for taking his own life. I, I, I understood the demons that he was dealing with. And I understand that sometimes it's too much, too much of a cross to bear for people. Uh, I, I, am disappointed that it happened. I'm disappointed in the choice. I feel, um, you know, I feel bad for his children, his wife, his mom, his brother, sister, all that stuff. I, 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 I feel bad for, but at the same time, I understand that Chester was in a lot of pain, you know, and I like, and the one shining light for me is I know he's on the good side on the other side. You know, I know he's a point of light for, for a lot of people on the other side and that helps uh, me come to terms with it.
0: And with the upcoming release of the new album, um, the Phoenix, this is another way for yourself to just celebrate the life of Chester. Um, how did you know it was the right time to finish this album, knowing that there may be not the right time ever? But for you personally, it must have been about being in the right mindset and being strong enough to revisit this and to, to finish this project.
1: Well, the first album, Amends, that we uh, released in 2020, um, that was a much more reflective, sad, somber, melancholy album A lot of emotions a lot of people crying when they listen to that record because you can hear this distress and uh in chester's voice and the pain in chester's voice this album took on a different attitude um this album had much more of a celebratory feeling not only while we were recording it and writing it but in chester's vocal message and that all happened by mistake i think when we were grouping the songs on the last record i think there was a commonality Uh, of sadness and and reflectiveness in the songs we chose. And I don't know that we did that on purpose, maybe subconsciously, Uh, but the songs that were left for the second record kind of came together. We realized how about halfway through writing it, like, wow, these songs seem a lot more upbeat, a lot happier, a lot more powerful. You're getting that angst from Chester that you love without that super heavy pain uh, that was on the first record. And as far as knowing it was the right time, you never know it's the right time. It just felt like the time. So, Um, you know, we took our time, we wrote the record over a year period and, uh, recorded it at a sunset sound recorders in in Hollywood. And we literally just curated the entire thing, um, as best we could, you know, we felt like we had something very special and we wanted the listeners to, to hear it in a way that showcases Chester, um, maybe in a way they haven't heard him before.
0: And how does it feel knowing that, you know, there's so many fans out there that have been waiting to hear these songs, the 10 song collection, you know, it's, it's literally just over a week away. And finally, these people can hear these songs and find the emotions and reflect in the best ways they can through this music that maybe some people thought they'd never get a chance to hear
1: um you know it's just cathartic to some some degree it's like wow we, we we got to the finish line that that feels good i feel like we did we did right by our friend i think he would be very proud of the music that uh it ended up with um the way we wrote it and curated it i think we were very careful and deliberate in how we had not only approached the songs but how we completed them uh, i think the intentions and the original intent was left intact, even though we dramatically changed the sound of the music to make it a little bit more modern and relevant in today's music world. I yeah. believe that uh, Chet would be very proud of the finished product. Um, honestly, it's quite a good feeling knowing that we finished it and that's, that's the, probably the easiest way I can sum it up.
0: I really wish there was a way that he could hear it. Don't you, that he could then get the thumbs up and to know he was really happy and that it was what the fans would have wanted and, the energy that he got across in these songs that help people find that love again and you know can can relate to those lyrics and just it's such a shame that you'll never get to hear them
1: quite honestly i think he i think he did did hear him i think he was with us the entire time we recorded and wrote these songs uh, i feel uh, i'm a th- firm believer um in the afterlife and you know spirituality on the other side and i i firmly believe that i feel chester's presence quite often um so i i know it sounds crazy but i believe that chester was part of the process and uh was influential in the process all along
0: that's lovely to hear now, what I do on this podcast to make it as original as I can is I ask the guest to choose the final piece of music that is played on the outro music for the podcast. Now, it can be by any band, any song, any piece of music that means a lot to you personally. Uh, hitting just over 200 episodes, we've had 200 guests pick 200 different songs. So I am going to put you on the spot, Sean. Um, what's a song that means a lot to you? that you think would be the perfect outro after this is all edited and out there for the world to listen to the final piece of music that's played is your choice. So what would you like to go with today?
1: I have a great memory of Chester and I sitting in the crowd screaming at the top and we die young by Allison Chains. I think it's fitting. Uh, It's a great memory I have of him. Um, Back when he was touring with Dead by Sunrise, I went out on the road with them for a couple of days, and uh, they were they were opening for Allison Chains. And after each performance, he would come out in the crowd with me, and we would scream every single lyric to every song uh, to Allison Chains. So, and "We Die Young" by Allison Chains—that's
0: a hell of a song. One of my favorite bands out there, and just the meaning behind it is beautiful. So, thank you so much for that choice. Thanks for having me on today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and really good luck with the album. Uh, I I really feel there's a lot of fans out there that are going to get a lot from this. And maybe because you're in the band, it must be hard to see from the outside. But I think what you've done and the, the, the effort and time you've put into this is incredible. So I'm really grateful and wish you all the luck with it.
1: Thanks, Mark. I appreciate it. Have a great day.
0: So there it is. There's my interview with me and the amazing Sean from the awesome band Grey Days. And as we discussed on today's interview, their brand new album, which is called The Phoenix, is out now. And it truly is a celebration of Chester Bennington. It's a very deep and emotional album, but it's done so well and it really is an incredible album. So go and check it out now. If you've enjoyed today's episode, and I know I say this on each and every episode, please share it. All the links are on markandme.com. This podcast has and always will remain free. But what I do ask in return is you share it. And as I said, it makes a massive difference. So going on Facebook and hitting that button just to share it across your page, or going on Instagram and sharing it across your stories, or just hitting that retweet button on Twitter can go such a long way. And that's why I keep asking everyone to do it. It gets a whole new audience to see the podcast. And who knows, someone might see that little picture today and then check out the interview. And before you know it, they're a huge fan and delve right back in and listen to all 200 episodes that I've done up till now. It really does go a huge way, so please, if you've enjoyed today's episode, share, share, and share. And if you've really enjoyed today's episode, I do have a Patreon page set up. Each and every month, thanks to my amazing friends at Richer Sounds, I have some incredible prizes to give away. And these are to say thank you for supporting me. But not only that, you're going to get eight episodes guaranteed every month. You get a welcome pack with an incredible badge that is a Mark and Me logo and it's absolutely beautiful done by the guys at Digital Suicide. It's an exclusive badge that only Patreon people can now get. You get some stickers and you get some exclusive episodes that are just for you guys at home. And I'm going to be doing loads more stuff, some videos, behind the scenes and so much exclusive stuff just for Patreons. So the link is on markandme.com, you can sign up right away and it really does go a long way. I'll be back in only a few days time with a brand new episode, so until then, look after yourself, listen to Grey Days, take care and I'll speak to you all very soon.